School. This is our monthly podcast episode where we answer your questions here on the podcast. This is episode number 228, Ask Scanner School, volume 44. All the notes from today's podcast can be found online on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 228. So again, welcome back to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this podcast is here to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. Now, as a reminder, because this is a first Tuesday of the month, Ask Scanner School session will also be live on social media. We'll be live on YouTube. We'll be live on Twitter. We'll be live on Instagram. We'll be live on Facebook. And we'll also be trying again for the second time to go live on TikTok. So if you're on any of those platforms, make sure that you go and you find us and you hunt us out. So make sure you follow us tonight. And again, if you've missed the live, you can always go ahead and catch us on our replay, which is posted on YouTube. And again, Patreon supporters at the $5 or a month level will also get access to our extra credit club roundtable discussion, which basically means that we get together and we talk about what's going on in the scanner radio or the radio community, something that is going on in our neighborhoods that we're going to be listening to or have listened to, maybe ask a couple of questions, get some pointers, etc., etc. And it's just a good way of being part of a community. So if you're not part of our $5 a month Patreon support club, or what you call the extra credit club, you can go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon to join us over there. Now, before we get any further in this week's podcast, I want to take a few minutes to thank our Patreon supporters. Now, Patreon is an affordable way for you to support the podcast and our upcoming expansion into YouTube for 2022. So think of Patreon as the PBS model of helping out Scanner School. For a monthly or yearly donation, not only do you help support the podcast, but depending on your donation tier, you will receive certain benefits. The most popular benefit tier being our $5 a month or the $51 a year tier. It's the same tier. We just discount if you can pay us over a year. Now, this tier offers the podcast and YouTube videos early. And also, you receive a free squelchy pack of stickers, several discounts, and access to our monthly live scanner radio roundtable discussion we hold monthly on Zoom. Oh, and by the way, most of the Patreon levels also get a special version of the podcast that does not include the middle advertising break in each episode. Now, find out more about Patreon and our supporting tiers by visiting scannerschool.com Patreon. I'd also like to take a moment here and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pascoe, David C., 
Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxson, James Felling, James Peruta, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeo, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, Joe Curtis, John Cordiff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Kelly Wilkins, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Mike Lopez, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Paul Seish, Randy Lee Wright, Raymond Hill, Roger Stenstrom, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgren, Tim Mazza, Todd Glendite, and William Arcand. All right, so we are going to jump into this in one second, but let me give you a little bit of an update as to what's been going on here in the shack. Something I'm trying to do on the podcast, a little bit of transparency, a little bit of let you know what's going on back here. So the past week I've had off from work, which has been really nice. I had a ton of stuff I wanted to get done. Of course, how it always goes is I got a fraction of that stuff done. But with that week off, we were busy focusing on a brand new website for East Coast Pagers. Now, if you haven't noticed by now, East Coast Pagers is one of my own companies, and uh, we sell Fire Pages, primarily Unication, but we also sell Swiss Phone, and I'm an Apollo dealer, but I have never actually sold an Apollo uh, piece of equipment before. But uh, but yeah, so we're moving the website over. It's, it's right now, currently, it's hosted on on a WordPress platform on my own VPS server, and it's running WooCommerce on top of that. But I haven't really been too thrilled with that platform for uh, about a year or two now. And um, it started off well. I mean, I went in there and we built the website on there. We were actually on version two of the website, what I consider version two. And um, it's been doing pretty okay, but there's always room for improvements and, and doing things differently. So we're moving over to Shopify, which basically means is I'm giving up a little bit of control over the back end of the website, but this should automate a lot more. It should make things a lot easier for me. It should make a lot of things a lot easier for the customers to find what they need and to check out. The website looks a lot more polished. So I have been working pretty much every day this week on moving things over from the old website to the Shopify website. And if everything goes as expected, if you're listening to this live and things have gone well, the website would have already been moved over to the Shopify platform if things went drastically bad, <laughs> then, well, then, yeah, we're still on the old platform. But you'll know if you visited the old website, you'll know. If you visit the new website, I think you'll see a difference on uh, on how things look and how things feel. So we're going to bring it up to the new website in the um, the keep it simple, stupid method, I guess, is what you could say, right? The, the, minimum, the minimum viable product is the other acronym there, the MVP product or the MVP layout. So basically means just get it over and moved. We can clean it up uh, later on if we have to. So I'm really excited to bring that uh, to light and, and to public release. And hopefully, like I said, everything is good to go. And by the time you listen to this podcast episode, we are already on the Shopify platform. The second thing that just happened is because I have shiny object syndrome or squirrel syndrome is uh, I just bought a new website domain today, probably about 15, 20 minutes ago. With, um, you know, like I have nothing else on my plate type of deal to do. And we'll see if we can get something built in the next two weeks over there. Maybe I'll document the process and show you guys how to build a website and we'll, we'll take it from there. So it'll be very interesting to see what we do on that platform and uh, see if uh, w- w- we have going on over there. I'm against the gun, so to speak, on that one because what I'm building it for happens in about 30 days or so. And if I don't get it done in the next 30 days, we'll have to wait till next year in order to see if there's a payoff on this one. But uh, we'll see how it goes. See, see, uh, keep us on our toes over here. Like, like, like I said, like I've got nothing else to do here. But 
Let's get to the meat and potatoes on this podcast episode here. We've got a couple of questions that are in the hopper here. As a reminder, if you ask your questions via SpeakPipe or our voicemail number, which again, 516-308-2885, we'll put you in the running for a free tutoring session. And basically, that's a face-to-face or a Zoom-to-Zoom, and we'll answer your questions and we'll help you out with a uh, with a problem or a topic or whatever it is that's on your mind. And you can go to scannerschool.com slash ask in order to use the SpeakPipe link. Again, you can use your phone if you're here in the States or if you're international, 516-308-285. So we've got two questions that came in via our SpeakPipe and our in our voicemail line. We've got two questions that came in via email or via our ask page. And we're going to get to the written questions right now. And our first question comes from Wade. And he says he has a question about CT, CSS, and PL uh, tones. I have a few questions about these. What are CTCSS tones and PL tones? Are CTCSS tones different from PL tones? How do CTCSS tones and PL tones work? And how do CTCSS tones and PL tones affect FM scanner reception? So let's break this down question by question. Wayne, again, great questions. Thank you for submitting this. So what is a CTCSS? an APL code. Well, a CTCSS tone is basically an acronym and it stands for Continuous Tone Coded Squelch System. Again, CTCSS, Continuous Tone Coded Squelch System. And PL is a Motorola trade term for a CTCSS tone. Their term is PL or private line. So CTCSS and PL are effectively the exact same thing. Now, what Motorola did was they basically put a number and a letter next to each other to make it easier to understand what these codes were. So instead of saying it was 136.5 hertz, it would be a 4Z PL. Now, if that's correct, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've looked at that chart. But basically, that's what we're saying. A 4Zulu, a 4Z, would be the equivalent of 136.5 hertz. And again, I have to look at the chart to verify that, but Motorola, the PL tone would be the 4Z, and then the numerical is the actual hertz or the tone of the subaudible tone. And that is what CTCSS and PL are. They are subaudible tones that are transmitted with the carrier. And what we're saying here is that instead of using a carrier squelch on our receivers, which basically means there needs to be a signal present, CTCSS or private line requires not only a signal to be present, but a subaudible tone to be injected in that signal in order for the squelch to open up. And that is how PL codes work. So on a transmit side, basically, to access a repeater, we may have to key up our radios and have that private line or our CTCSS tone injected with the signal. The repeater is going to use that PL code in addition to a coded squelch to find out if you are granted access to go through the receiver on that repeater. So in addition to the right frequency, the input frequency, you would need the correct PL code. If both criteria matches, then the receiver on the repeater would then loop you out and through the repeater and transmit your signal out on the transmit frequency for the repeater. 
Now, the repeater may also inject in a private line or a CT says tone, and it may or may not match your transmit PL code. Sometimes you use PL codes on a split. And why would you do that? Because if you're receiving a PL code on your radio, then maybe if somebody wants to try to brute force their way into the repeater to jam a repeater, they would know now, well, I'm receiving a PL of, say, 100 hertz, then I will put that 100 hertz in the transmit side and see if I can jam the repeater. So sometimes we use the same input-output. Sometimes we use a different input-output PL code. Whether or not it's through a repeater or whether or not it's through your scanner is pretty much the same deal here, right? In order for the receiver to open up the squelch, if you have to have the right PL code, the PL code ends up being the key. Your receiver ends up being the lock. So if you program in your receiver to expect a 77.0 hertz PL code and your radio receives a 123.0 PL code on the carrier frequency, your scanner will not open the squelch because there's no match there. If the scanner receives a 77.0 hertz PL code and expects to use a 77.0 PL code, then your squelch will open and you will hear the carrier come through your scanner. Where is this effective? Well, it's very effective where I live because we have a very high reuse on frequencies. So we've got a certain frequency that's in use by FDNY or NYPD. Well, nearly 60 miles away to the east, there's another department using the same frequency. Well, because I'm in the middle of those two and I'm equal distance between the city and the other counties, frequency, I can receive them both pretty well. I can use a PL code to filter out the frequency I don't want to listen to. I can do that one of two ways. I can program in the frequencies PL code that I want to hear. Or on some scanners, I can reject the frequency I don't want to hear by putting that PL code in as a lockout PL code. Some unit and receivers let us do that. And that was always a cool feature to have. So if we had to receive a frequency that was just CSQ, but we knew we had something else coming in that was transmitting with PL, we can negate the PL, and then we would not hear that one frequency that was coming in, but everything else would be a CSQ. So how does CTCSS and PL tones affect FM scanner reception? This is Wayne's last question here. Well, it could hurt our reception. If the signal is too weak to decode the PL code, if the PL code is too low and we can't receive it, or if the PL code is distorted or off-frequency in any way, that could cause problems. Like It's a general rule of thumb that you don't want to put in a PL code of something that's a harmonic of your current country's AC power line system. Like Here in the US, right, we use 60 hertz. So you really wouldn't want to use 60 hertz as your PL code or anything that is a harmonic of 60, say 120 hertz or, or something like that. Although there's plenty of PL codes out here in use that are 123 hertz. It's not a written rule, but again, if you've got to have any AC hum that makes its way through your repeater system, you could end up with that tone coming through the receiver unintentional.
So Wayne, as usual, really great questions. I do appreciate you asking the questions here. I hope I've answered them to your satisfaction. Again, if you have any more questions, you have a follow-up, let me know, and we'll answer them on another upcoming Ask Scanner School podcast. All right, our second question of the month comes in from Dennis. Dennis says, if I want to leave a Uniden scanner at a remote site that has cell service, what equipment would I need to connect it to remotely aside from the scanner, the cradle point, and or pro scan? What settings do I need to configure it? Oof. This one's going to be a good one. This one is actually an entire podcast episode in itself, I believe. But we'll abbreviate and cut things down really quickly here. So what do we want? Well, first thing we need is an internet connection. And you're going to handle that from your question, basically from cell service and using a cradle point router. So we've got that taken care of. But what I would recommend is some sort of network controlled power strip that you can turn off and turn on right over Wi-Fi. And the reason why I'm recommending this is sometimes you will need to hard reset some equipment. So the ability to power cycle your computer via a hard cycle or your scanner radios could be something of value if this is going to take you an hour to drive to or be behind a locked door or need security clearance, right, to get through. The ability just to come in, power cycle, and bring things back up again could save you hours, also, what could save you a lot of time is knowing how to connect to not only the computer and the radios and that Wi-Fi routed um, power strip would be what to what is your IP address? How do you know what address you're going to connect to where your equipment's located? Your IP address could change. Every time your cradle point resets itself, it could grab a new IP address. A service running on your computer, such as something from noip.com or dnydns, as I think is another one, but that would be very helpful. It runs as a service on your computer, and you would need to have an account. Maybe you need to have a paid account to do this, but it runs on your computer, and it monitors what the external IP address is of your network connection, and what happens is it associates that IP address with a dynamic DNS or a dynamic URL that you can connect to. For example, you can connect to Dennis's computer.dnydns.com or remote site.noip.com or whatever it happens to be, right? This way you don't need to know it's 72.34. whatever, whatever for the full IP address. And again, it changes a week from now, and then you have no idea how to connect to anything. Having dynamic DNS is a lifesaver when it comes to that. I use that basically on all of my remote setups. It's easy, it's it's simple, and it's peace of mind that I will always know how to connect to my remotely controlled equipment. So now we've got a way to connect to it. We have a way to reset everything. Well, what type of scanner are we going to use here? A Home Patrol-based scanner might be almost impossible to use. Now, again, I'm not talking from experience on this one. I would have to sit down and bench test this. And in fact, I'm going to actually have to do this because I have somebody that needs help with this. In a simulcast area, they've got uh, some P2 set up. And I don't know yet if that's a problem or not. We're still going down that, that rabbit hole. But 
if we deployed out SDS 200 radios here, there's going to be a problem because there's going to be no way to get that scanner into mass storage mode so that we can write to the SD card and then reboot the scanner and then use the scanner as normal. I'm sure there's ways, and I've heard there's ways to FTP data into the SD card, but again, you would have to then write to the scanner again. Another problem would be is if we had to work around a corrupt SD card. You see, if we cut power to the SDS scanner, the Home Patrol scanner, we might corrupt the SD card. We would need to then force write the SD. Sentinel will be the best way to do that. We can't do that if we can't write to the SD card because it's not in mass storage mode. It can create a whole bunch of issues if we can't FTP over to the SD card. So I would recommend, if possible, stay away from an SDS-100, SDS-200 for now, or the Home Patrol 1, Home Patrol 2, even the uh, the 436 or 536, right? Stick with something that we can talk to and bring in and out of program mode via a software command line. Again, I have to go back and sit down and test to see if it's possible to do that with the Home Patrol. Maybe somebody can can chime in and let us know. But I'm going to say let's stick with something that is straight in protocol. And why am I saying this? Because you want to use ProScan and, or you want to use ArcXT or you want to use something like that. The TRX-1, TRX-2 could help you out. But again, you're going to run into the same problem where you've got to use software to program the radio. It could be problematic for you if you can't communicate with the radio. All right. We have a scanner now we want to use. You know you want to use ProScan. Again, we need a way to communicate with the radio. So that's going to require either a serial connection or a USB connection, right? Serial would be in the back. That would require a null modem cable through the GPS port. Or up front, we're going to use the Udidin USB to serial adapter or the Udidin serial adapter that comes with the scanner and plug in that funny port in the front of the radio. We're going to need to make sure we have a baud rate set up in the scanner. Whatever we put in there, we have to put it into a match in ProScan. But we also need to know what serial port our scanners are on. So those are two very important settings that need to be transferred over to ProScan or whatever program where you are running to remote control the scanners. Another issue we're going to run into is how to bring audio from the scanner to the computer. We're going to need an audio input. We're going to need a patch cable. I highly recommend using mono cables here. Don't use stereo. Use mono. That's the best way to do it and re relieve some ground issues or ground hums. Again, ground hums are going to be a problem, so you may want to invest in putting some ferrite beads on the audio cable, maybe even on the data cable. What kind of antenna are we going to use here? Are you going to use an external antenna on a rooftop, on a tower top? Do you even need to? Because if you are listening to just a trunk radio system, maybe the antenna on the back of the radio is just good enough to get by. And that might even be just enough to get you not needing a, a radio that deals with simulcast. Because if all you're going to do is listen to one tower, then you can eliminate all the other towers on that simulcast system or simulcast site. Then why bother with an external antenna? If tabletop is good enough for what you need, then that's great. But if you have to carry or, or, or relay, receive conventional systems, then yeah, we're going to look at a tower top antenna, right? Multi-coupler, coax lines, lightning arresters. Another issue, though, is going to be if we have any transmitters in the site, a transmitter can overload the front end of the scanner and would cause to de uh, the scanner to desense, and you would lose your transmit. You, I mean, you would lose your receive 
on the scanner. It would just go, it would just mute out. So if you have something out there that's pulsing, uh, think of a DMR, right? Uh, a heartbeat from a, from a rest channel could cause your scanner to continuously mute or sound like it's in close call mode or weather priority scan. So we want to think about things like that too. Where do we want to put our antennas, right? Do we even need an antenna? Something else to think about too is maybe dropping a webcam on site focused at your scanner so you can see what the scanner is doing should it fail to communicate with software. Do you want to know if the scanner is even turned on? Maybe the scanner is on and it's not communicating with the software. These are things that maybe we may want to have on a remote site. Now, I do have remote sites. I don't have webcams set up on any of mine, but I have the ability to have somebody go there and check things within 24 hours, so I'm not too worried about remote settings. What kind of remote control software are we going to be using, though? Are you going to use TeamSpeak, Log Me In, remote, uh, Google Remote Desktop, right? We need the ability to connect to the software that is running. We got a lot of stuff going on here. What about in ProScan? We need to set up our audio connections and our serial connections and our data speed connections. We're going to need to set up remote scanner over IP, the web server, or if you're going to be connecting to a broadcast medium such as Broadcastify or your own IceCast or Shoutcast servers, you're going to need to know that so you can set up your uh, source audio connection through ProScan. My biggest advice here, though, is to test, test, test. Test this before deployment. Test this on your local bench and make sure you have everything up and running. Make sure you have a copy of the radio database saved in ProScan or whatever scanner programming application you're going to use. Make a backup copy of that. Save it to your home computer. Have the ability to transfer files back and forth would be very helpful as well. Remember, nothing is perfect. You're going to need to tweak things once you get on site. The ability to connect to the scanner, connect to the computer, know what the IP address is, with dynamic DNS, those are all going to be lifesavers and those will be things that will help you. Nothing is perfect. You will make to make some trips out to the site to test it or to configure it or to fix something. But in the long run, I think if you use these bullet points to help you with deployment, you will be pretty well set off. This will be a really great podcast episode. I will think of more things that we would need on the ability to troubleshoot or to deploy or something like that. Again, something that comes to mind too, backup batteries, UPSs, just off the top of my head here. Let me know how you make out. If you need help with this, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to give you some additional pointers or even uh, some help if required. Really great, great question, Dennis. Best of luck with this project and let us know how you make out. All right, we'll be right back after this break with our two voicemail questions. As a reminder, anybody who's a Patreon supporter at a $3 level or higher will skip this break. For everybody else, we'll see you in just a second. Hey, did you realize it takes us almost $100 a week just to have this podcast episode professionally edited and sent over to you? This doesn't even include website and podcast hosting, administrative help, and other monthly subscriptions that are required to put the podcast out there. Now, you can help us offset these costs when you shop online. So if you're looking for a scanner radio or some software, looking to bid on items over on eBay, or if you're looking to purchase anything, and I mean anything, on Amazon, you can help support Scanner School in the process. And this doesn't come at any extra cost to you. So please check out scannerschool.com support for the multiple different ways that we have out there that you can help support us 
when you shop online. Again, scannerschool.com slash support. Are you looking to learn more about the scanner radio hobby? We currently have courses on how to get started and up and running with software-defined radios and how to turn your SDR into a fully functioning scanner radio. With free software, you can see more and do more with trunking than ever before. And with new courses scheduled for the upcoming months, our offerings will be expanding into both Uniden and Whistler hardware and software. Check out our courses at courses.scannerschool.com or by looking for the link in this podcast description. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues, too. Visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issue and sign up today. Did you know that a pager can make a great addition to your scanner radio collection. And even if I didn't own East Coast pagers, I still have one or maybe a couple of pagers as a part of my scanner radio setup. This is because a pager can be used to just monitor your local fire department or your regional departments. And if you set it up correctly to alert you when the tones are sent over the air, then the pager will remain silent until you need to know what is going on. This frees up your scanner to monitor everything else that's going on beside your local stuff or can prevent you from missing the local stuff because your scanner is busy doing other things. Now, pagers aren't just limited to fire dispatches anymore. Unication has great solutions to monitor both analog and P25 paging systems where many public safety and police departments are switching over to. Swiss Home and Apollo make great analog solutions as well, and all three still sell POGSAC and Flex pagers, still in use by many departments for text alerting. East Coast Pagers is an Apollo, Swiss Phone, and Unication dealer serving the North American market and, of course, is one of my online companies. So if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, contact us for a free quote and let us know you're a Scanner School listener for something a little extra with your order. For all full inventory or request a quote or just to contact us, please visit eastcoastpagers.com. All right, our first voicemail question of the week comes in from gary gary go ahead and take it away phil this is gary from hilliard ohio i have a question i hope you can answer when i use sentinel to update my sds 100 there's a couple options down there and i think i understand right option that involves erasing my favorite list on my scanner i understand that but the other option is force write full database i guess i'm Kind of curious when I would use that option to force write full database, or should I use that, uh, select that every time I update my SDS 100? Thanks, Phil. Gary, this is a really great question. In fact, I had to sit down and play around with Sentinel just to verify that what I thought was happening would actually happen. And if timing is okay here, you might see a video on this on YouTube or TikTok. I recorded the process as I was going through it in my head. So it, there might be a video up. There might not be a video up by the time this podcast airs, but there is a video in process, let's put it that way, on this exact thing here. So the short of it is, 
I did a little bit of experimenting. I also did a little bit of Google searching. And what I found in my experiments does not support what I found on forum posts. Let's put it that way. So real life example or real life use on on this little checkbox here. So I took my 436 HP and I looked at the information in the radio by going to the full database, click on information, and I found out that the database date was from April 10th, 2022. And that matched the last download I did in Sentinel. So the Sentinel database was 410.22. The radio was 410.22. And I know I didn't click on that button. So what that is telling me is that Sentinel wrote the Home Patrol database to the scanner without force writing the database. So what I did was I updated the database in Sentinel. That brought it to 417. So now the version in Sentinel was 417. The version in the scanner was 410. I updated the scanner without checking force write database. The Sentinel updated the database on my home patrol. So now the version of all the files, I looked in File Explorer, the date changed from 4.10 to 4.17. The information in my scanner changed from 4.10 to 4.17. So it looks like regardless of checking off that box, Sentinel wrote the database to the scanner. Some people are saying that when you leave that unchecked, the, the database does not write to the scanner. But what I have found with my experiment here is that regardless of checking that box off or on, Sentinel will write the Home Patrol database to the scanner. So I took it one step further. I renamed the folder HPDB on the SD card from HPDB to HPDB2. This effectively removed the Home Patrol database from my scanner. I then tried to use Sentinel again to write to my scanner, leaving the force write to uh, Home Patrol database unchecked. I got an error on that write. It told me it could not find the Home Patrol database on the SD card. When I checked the box that said force write Home Patrol database, it did exactly what it says on the tin. It force wrote the database to the SD card. Basically, it ignored the error and it rewrote all these all the information to the SD card. So now I had a HPDB folder and an HPDB2 folder. I had my renamed copy and a brand new copy. And all of the files inside of the HPDB folder match the same files from the HPDB2 folder. So with that, what did I find out? I found out that it doesn't matter if you have that box checked or unchecked, regardless of what anybody says on any website forums, Sentinel will write the Home Patrol database to the scanner. The force write checkbox will ignore errors and will force write the database to the SD card if it's missing. And I think that is what the checkbox is there for. Regardless if it's there or not there, write it, no matter what, to the SD card. So if you already have the Home Patrol database in good standing on your SD card, you really don't have to check that box, is what I'm saying. This was a really great question because it made me question what I thought I knew. 
And I sat down and I I re-educated myself on what I thought was happening here. So, Gary, great question. Thank you so much because, again, not only was I able to explain this to you, but I also was able to learn something from this question myself. Keep it up. And again, Gary, you are in the running right now for a free tutoring session. So stand by because once we get through our next question, we will pick a name out of a hat, metaphorically speaking. Yes, this is Roger Stenstrom, K5MOW. And I'd like to ask if you could explain filters on a SDS-100 and on the SDS-200. In Sensitol, you can actually, you know, obviously turn on and off filters or change filters in that. And then on the scanner, um, you also have the option of turning on filters. I'm wondering if they work together or are they separate? I'm assuming they work together. But on mine, I just leave them off. I really haven't experimented them with them that much, and I don't know a whole lot about them. I wonder if you could explain filters on the SDS-100 and the SDS-200. I sure thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hey, Roger. Great question. And before I start with the answer, thank you again for being a Patreon supporter. I really appreciate it. So this is a question I see quite often. Uh, it, it does pop up its ugly head from time to time. <laughs> what I mean by that is this is a really good question because there hasn't really been a really good answer. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of confusion around what the filters are, how they work, how they can be used, how you should use them, how other people have used them. And the long and short of this is basically the filters are going to work differently for different people, right? It's it's all about where you are, how you're receiving a particular system dictates whether or not the filters will even be needed or should be needed or should be used because it's a software-defined scanner, right? It has different criteria rather than a traditional receiver would. There's a lot of different things that have to be tweaked, so to speak. So if your scanner is working fine, you don't notice any missed traffic, the audio quality sounds great, things are working well, then there's really no need to mess with the filters at all. But let's break down the filters so that we can figure out what it is we are looking at. Now, I'm going to take a post from Radio Reference that came directly from Upman back in 2019. And he says this, very simple. This is the whole post right here. Normal is high pass. Invert is low pass. Wide is wider pass frequency. That's the full explanation that came from Mutadin. Normal is high pass, invert is low pass, and wide is wider pass frequency. <sighs> I mean, that's the answer. That's really all there was. But there's been posts and posts and posts and questions about this, and you can you can kind of see why. Not not to, you know, to say anything negative about Upman. I mean, that was the answer, right? That was really it. But how do you use it? Why do you use it? Et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's where a lot of the questions really come in. And again, Filters are 100% location-specific and location-dependent, right? And we have different ways of setting up our filters. Now, we have an auto setting in the scanner for filters, and that basically tries to high-pass 
then tries the low pass, then tries the wide setting, and it goes through them all to see which is the best filter to use. And that really does slow up our scan speed because not only is the scanner trying to scan, but it's trying to go through all the different filter settings to see which is the best one. So let's not use auto unless we really have to. But we have different levels too of setting up our filters. We can set them up globally, which means this is how the, the scanner is going to use our filters everywhere. Every, everything we try and receive, this is how we're going to set it up, right? Normal, invert, auto, I think wide in there as well. It's been a while since I've actually played around with the filter settings because I just don't use them. I don't have the need to use them, so I don't mess with them. From what I'm also seeing too, you can set them as an override based on the site, department, and close call, right? So you can set your site to be global, normal, inverted, or auto. Same with department and, and the close call settings. So... What I'm going to recommend is if you have no problem, like I said before, if you have no problem with the filter settings in your SDS 100, SDS 200, then don't worry about it. Don't mess with them. Leave things alone. But if you feel that you are not getting a good receive on your signal, for example, there have been posts where somebody says, I am sitting across the street from the tower. I can see the antennas, yet my radio is sitting here and is doing nothing. The addition in the firmware to have the filters added then made it so that this person could receive the tower they could physically see. Solve the problem. So that's what I'm saying is, is if you expect to be able to receive something and you're not receiving it or if you're not receiving it all that well, then start messing around with the filters. You may find that you see an improvement or you may find, hey, let me just play around with the filters while I'm listening to Noah Weather Radio or the local fire department, the police department. Let me see what happens here. And you might find that something happens. And then you take the radio in the car with you or to some other remote location. And then all of a sudden you find out, I'm not hearing anything. Why is that? Because again, the filter is location specific, right? It's how, how much RF, how much energy is being received by the scanner and being processed and being analyzed and then being sent through the radio circuitry. So again, this is really a fuzzy answer. It's the best answer we can give. It's kind of one of these trial by fires. There's no concrete, this is going to, to fix this or, or do something for you because it's all dependent on what you're receiving, how well you're receiving it, how much bit error or how much simulcast, how much RF, is coming in where you're located. Basically, what we're saying by location specific, it's basically how do all these variables hit the antenna and how are they being received by the scanner? So it really is a mess around with it, see what happens, and then take it from there. That's unfortunately the answer. So let us know if you're playing around with that setting. Let us know how it's working out well for you. My recommendation though is stay away from auto. Don't bother using it unless you absolutely have to. But I think just by messing around with the scanner settings, you may see something, you may not see something, but um, it's there in case you need it, basically. It's something to keep people from getting angry and saying, I can see this the, the transmitter site. Why can't I receive it? <laughs> that's, that's really where it comes into play. So, Roger, great question. Stand by because it's now you versus Gary and to see who gets the free tutoring session. All right, so before we pick a winner in today's podcast episode, let me say 
Again, thank you to everybody who has asked a question. I need more questions. I am running thin on them. So make sure you pick up the phone right now and dial 516-308-2885 and leave me your questions or go over to scannerschool.com slash ask and use the speak pipe button or use the contact form on that webpage to submit your questions so I can continue doing these types of podcast episodes. If you're catching us live on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of May, make sure you head over to YouTube tonight or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok and join us over there for our live sessions. Again, if you've missed a live session, please go ahead and catch the replay over on YouTube. And again, if you found some value in this, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you let me know that you are enjoying these podcast episodes by leaving us a honest review over on iTunes or by sharing this podcast episode on social media or via email with your Scanner Radio friends. All right, without further ado, let's go ahead here and pick a winner in this week's Ask Scanner School drawing. All right, so let's go ahead and pick a winner here. So we got a spreadsheet here. We're going to pick between one and two. Gary is one, Roger is two. So let's go ahead here and we'll reset five or we hit five times here and uh, see who's the winner. One, two, three. Four and five. All right, Roger, congratulations. You are the winner of this month's Ask Scanner School free tutoring session. Please reach out to me, phil at scannerschool.com, and I will give you the coupon code to use to book your free tutoring session. Now, again, if anybody else would like a tutoring session, you can go to scannerschool.com slash tutoring to book your tutoring session. So with that, I want to say thank you again for everybody who asks a question for this month's Ask Scanner School, and we will catch you all again tonight. All right. For everybody else, we'll see you all next week. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. Thanks again for listening, and 73.